The information contained in this episode of Life of Mine is of general nature only and does not take into account the objectives, financial situation or needs of any particular person. Before making any investment decision, you should consult with your financial advisor and consider how appropriate the advice is to your objectives, financial situation and needs. G'day ladies and gents, Matty Michael here for another episode of Life of Mine, the go-to mining podcast. And in this chat, we have Graham Arvidsson, who is the CEO for Australian Vanadium. ASX ticker is AVL, and AVL's flagship project is the Australian Vanadium Project, located in Megathara. Western Australia, and this hosts a proposed 25-year open pit project that will aim to produce a vanadium pentoxide flake product that will be extracted via AVL's proposed downstream processing plant, which is located just east of Geraldton in Western Australia. Now, Graham takes us through in depth everything there is to know about both vanadium and AVL, namely why there is a lot of attention on vanadium in this current EV market and also AVL's ambitions to build and operate an electrolyte plant in Western Australia to supply the vanadium redox flow batteries. Now you'll also hear about the key considerations for mining, concentrating and downstream processing of VTM deposits, that is vanadium titanium magnetite deposits, which is what AVL's deposit is. It's a sensational and informative chat that I had with Graham, and he's a massive supporter and advocate for everyone in the vanadium sector to get their projects online. Because once this industry gets going and you start seeing more vanadium redox flow batteries in the world, the closer to decarbonisation that we will be. So I hope you all enjoy my chat with AVL's CEO, Graham Arvidsson. Let's get into it. Copy, shift boss. Okay, radio check. Yeah, radio's working fine. Yeah, copy, Opus. Yeah, copy, mate. Yeah, stitch her up there. Thanks, mate. Yeah, righto. Copy that. Righto. Graham Arvidsson, Australian Vanadium. Welcome to Life of Mine, mate. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me, Matt. Give us a bit of context on we've got a heavy Australian accent coming from this side. Yourself, where are you from? I'm from Canada originally, 18 years here in Australia and working in the mining industry all over Australia and, and overseas, but spending most of my time here in sunny Perth. Very good. How'd you get How'd you get into it? Before we get into the company, a bit about yourself, how'd you get into mining? Uh, well, I grew up in Western Canada where mining and heavy minerals, industrial things are part of life. Um, and I cut my teeth as an engineer in the oil sands industry in Canada, which is sort of a hybrid of mining and oil and gas. And then I was a broke backpacker in Australia and I applied for a job. I applied for three jobs here and all three of them rang me up without an interview and said, when can you start? And that was in 2005. So it's been, uh, it's been a good journey ever since. Well, well welcome to WA, mate. Welcome yes. to WA. Now we've got you in today to tell us about look, Australian Vanadium and the Australian Vanadium project, which is located in Megathera. First, we're going to... First, before we get into the project itself, I've done a bit of, people would have seen videos on the vanadium redox fly batteries that are sort of coming to the forefront with this renewable energy uh, thematic that we're in at the moment. Mate, tell us about vanadium in general for people that don't know anything about it and why it is one of the things in demand and one of the hot topics at the moment. Yeah, um, 
fascinating um, place to be right now. Vanadium is not a word that most people are familiar with, you know, in the general walks of life. But I do think that even maybe 10 years ago, lithium was in a similar story where people probably knew that it was in your phones and people might know that vanadium is probably in the spanner in your garage. Um, but we're now in the, in the turning point, I think, that lithium was about eight years ago. Uh, the reason is that historically vanadium has been used for uh, steel alloys almost entirely. There's a few other niche applications, but dominated by steel use. And we now have what is actually a 30-year-old technology, but is a perfect fit for the decarbonization and energy transition that's happening in the world. And it's been a long time coming, uh, you know, put it in, in comparison, something like the last sort of 20 years of these vanadium redox flow batteries, the total installation, uh, some total cumulative of those 20 years has just gone ahead in the last 12 months. So we're in this very interesting moment in time where the supply and demand situation in vanadium needs to rise to meet that challenge. It's a great technology and both technically and on, on an economic basis has a lot of merit for where the world needs to go if renewables are going to continue to grow and, and do what we need them to do. And what are the main merits of the vanadium redox fly batteries compared to a lithium one? Compared to lithium, I mean, I'd, I'd first like to say that the world needs lots of different storage solution. And so whether that's pumped hydro, VRFBs or other storage devices, um, we need them all, honestly, if we're going to do this 2050 target. Comparing directly with lithium ion, um, you, you really want to focus on the fact that the energy density is lower in redox batteries. It's good energy density. So in a, in a world where lithium is in high demand for things that move with the highest energy density, that's where the lithium units need to go. It's like a car, car. You can't fit a vanadium battery in a car, essentially. You can't. And maybe one day vanadium, and we can talk about that, vanadium might play a role in lithium batteries, and that might be lithium ion or um, lithium metal batteries at some far-fetched future point. Um, however, vanadium won't end up in a car in terms of VRFBs, but where it really has technical merits is in stationary power applications. And that there's lots of reasons we want to talk about, but I'll just highlight the key ones. One is just scalability. So the ability to install, um, it, let's say 500, um, kilowatts and then scale the actual number of hours that you can store energy for is just literally by bolting on tanks. So you can have your primary battery and then just add vanadium electrolyte to scale it. So scalability is really critical in these applications. The other piece is lithium ion has a few downfalls and that's one is there's flammability issues. I think everybody's seen videos floating around of the downside of lithium ion. Um, so redox batteries don't have any of those issues. They're non-flammable and there's no fatal flaw event where the battery goes up in flames. And I think that's important for uh, the power industry and what they need to achieve safely. Um, the next thing with redox batteries compared to lithium ion is they have, let's call it, a, they're more of a workhorse and that is you can cycle them over and over and over and over and to a, a greater degree across the, the full capacity of the battery compared to lithium ion. So in terms of a power uh, solutions provider or the end customer for these ultimate batteries, you're looking at something that's much more robust and over a much longer period of time. Um, historically, the initial cost of these batteries has not competed with lithium and, and we think that's going to change, but on a life cycle basis, it always actually has been competitive and it's really coming to the fore in terms of end users 
recognizing the benefits of, of redox batteries. And, and lastly, I think it's important to highlight that redox batteries, if they have an end of life, which it really is not really proven yet, but let's say they did, um, it would be about 20 years from now with our current thinking, um, you can recover almost all of that vanadium completely and repurpose it either into a new battery or you could put even put it back into the steel industry if that's what you chose to do at the end of life and that that can all happen very economically and technically easily with lithium ion batteries i think it's one of the key things the world's trying to get uh, get to grips with is what happens at the end of the life of the battery you know there's different maybe it gets repurposed as a lower um you know, lower performance use and gets some more life. But at some point, a lithium ion battery does reach its end state and recycling lithium ion batteries is possible with current technologies, but it's not efficient and it, it's quite costly. So we think there's a nice piece there where, um, vanadium redox batteries will play a role in, in the power industry in particular. And we offer a very long life cycle opportunity where the economics look good. And then even at the end of life, there's lots of good optionality. In terms of the circular economy, it's the right fit. Now, let's talk about the Australian Vanadium project, located in Mekasau, and look, highlight that Vanadium is, there's not like a Kalgoorlie of Vanadium area. It's everywhere, but you've obviously highlighted that, right, there is an economical mind to be a primary Vanadium producer. Tell us about the whole project. Sure. Um, Bit hard to do it in... 20, 30 minutes, I'm sure, but uh, I'm sure we can give us a pretty uh, enlightening synopsis of it all. Yeah, let's, I mean, let's give you the, the, the high level view. I mean, we're really fortunate that we have this deposit. It's, it's a 25 year mine life, which is always a really nice amount of time. To Seems use. to be the good number that everyone likes to use. Yeah. Um, they aim for 25. Yeah. Aim for 25. <laughs> and that means you have uh, a bright future and lots of time to get value out of, out of a deposit. Um, I've actually personally been involved in, in a few mines that have between five and 10 years life. And, you know, there's, there's limits to what you can do with assets like that. And they may be wonderfully, um, economically beneficial for a short period of time, but it's limiting. So we love the scale of it. Um, obviously the Midwest region, it, we're all from Western Australia here. It's a wonderful place to be, um, mining friendly, um, great locals there at Mekathera. Like we spent a bit of time up there. It's, it's a great community. Um, and then we'll talk a bit later, hopefully Matt, about our processing downstream near Geraldton there, but the whole Midwest region offers the infrastructure you need, not just to build one mine, but to have the ability to, to scale, we think an entire industry. So, you know, where lithium was, um, eight years ago, Australia, Western Australia was, you know, bordering on the backwater of what lithium could be. We are now the largest producer of lithium in the world in the span of eight years. And that comes down to the, the, the stuff you talk about on your podcast all the time, the, the smarts and the heart of the industry here in Western Australia that allows us to do what we do, the good regulatory environment that we work in and the ability to just get a lot of things done, um, quickly. And that's what Western Australia has done is capitalized there. And we want to do the same thing in lithium, in vanadium. Um, and the Midwest is the place to do it. The, uh, draw your attention to sort of the only uh, primary producing region. Actually, there's two, but I'll focus on one. The, the largest primary producing region of vanadium in the world, they're all VTM deposits. They're really good deposits. And they so are, what's a VTM? Just highlight that. Sorry, VTM is vanadium titanium magnetite deposit. So it's, it's a iron ore style deposit that has titanium and vanadium, um, concurrent with it. 
And typically in these deposits, the vanadium would be locked up with a magnetite. So it, essentially you're looking at a mine that's it's loosely a magnetite iron ore mine, uh, where the concentrate that you can produce has a lot of vanadium in it that can ho hopefully make it economic depending on your deposit. Um, so the, the key producer in the world right now is the Bushfeld in South Africa. Now they would be producing all from VTM deposits. They would have slightly higher grades all of those mines would have higher grades than all the Western Australian um, hopefuls here who want to produce vanadium. But they also have some um, economic issues in South Africa. They're very far inland compared to where we are. And arguably the scalability of transport, power, and other things that you need, um, they don't have large quantities of gas like we're blessed with here in Western Australia, um, aren't really going to make South Africa the primary place that supplies that demand. We think and we hope that South Africa can actually play a role in this vanadium trend. But we also think Western Australia is perfectly positioned to to be the key player, we think. Now, what's your ties with, I guess, US vanadium? Is that how big is vanadium in the United States? Is there much coming out of there? So the US has never been the biggest producer of vanadium, uh, to my knowledge, and they haven't been the biggest vanadium player in the world but what the us has done is they've invented a lot of the flow sheets that originated in vanadium through their uranium history um there's a long backstory to that and our relationship now with the us is such that so vanadium uh, although we've only talked about redox batteries another key exciting application for vanadium is aerospace and other um, industries that make it a critical metal so um, the U.S. is particularly interesting to us in terms of the critical metal piece and the uh, obviously being a friendly Western country that produces, hopefully will be producing, um, measurable and, and scalable quantities of vanadium. We're an ideal partner for them. U.S. Vanadium is a company in the U.S. They're actually based in Arkansas. Um, one, of, uh, one of my colleagues, um, Todd Richardson, he's a wonderful guy. He's our COO and he's from Arkansas originally, actually used to work at a lot of the processing facilities in that area uh, producing vanadium. US vanadium is a producer of vanadium on a relatively small scale, but they make, um, to our knowledge, the highest quality electrolyte in the world. And they are uh, selling into the US market currently electrolyte that um, will supply the redox battery industry that's really growing there and, and learning how to grow it um, at a rate that's necessary to meet the needs there. Um, U.S. Vanadium relationship with us is really important. We we have one of their um, ex-colleagues with us on, actually current colleague on the board. So Daniel Harris, he's run the largest vanadium companies in the world, and he has about 50 years experience in the vanadium industry. Um, we have a technological agreement with U.S. Vanadium, and what that allows us to do is throughout um, sort of Asian Pacific, we can use their technology for making electrolyte. And you'll see if you look back through our past announcements. Um, we have a government grant to produce, make an electrolyte facility here in Perth, which we're pursuing and using US vanadium technology. And that gives us absolute confidence we can deliver because we're using their flow sheet, their technology, that they're actually selling high quality electrolyte into the market as we speak. So we, we're really blessed to have that relationship with them. And then the technology agreement allows us to really closely partner with them uh, in terms of becoming a real player in the electrolyte market. Now with the mining and processing side, mining, look, 
conventional drill and bars, titanium magnetite, nothing, nothing too flash. It's open pit, but the processing side of things with vanadium is very interesting and probably very, very different to what most of us understand for most other commodities. And I really want to get into that side with you. And and uh, this all ties back into the the magnetite deposit and how it works. Can we? It'd be hard to highlight. There'd be if it was video, video, we could actually put the flow sheet up, yeah. and I'm sure I'll put some link. I'll put some links to um, the, I guess, the announcements which contain the info, detailed info for all the metallurgists out there that want to know the flow sheet. But give us a bit of context on how the vanadium is extracted from a titanium magnetite deposit. Excellent. And um, we'll go into well, if you want to go into at the same time or afterwards, the oxide ore at the top, which you're. AVL are patenting a process to actually extract the vanadium from that oxide ore and the fresh ore below that. Sure. Yeah, look at, and this is probably, uh, it hurts me, but I'm going to give geologists some credit here. Um, it's actually- They need it every now and then. There's nothing to like, consider that your charitable donation for the day, Grant. Thank you. Um, <laughs> it's actually a geometallurgical answer. And um, like with having spent the last five years in, in lithium, it's it really is the same story, Matt, that people underestimate the the necessity to first understand the ore body and secondly understand how each parts of that ore body will behave based on the flow sheet you select or, or more appropriately select the right flow sheet that can manage all the complexity that you find in ore bodies. Um, having said that, the reason our deposit is really strong is because it has what we call the high-grade HG section and it goes uh, relatively consistently by ore body standards right through the entire strike and through lots of hard work and iterations where we made sure that we understood something and then had another look, made sure we understood it again, that you can actually maximize the vanadium recovery in the most economic way through the whole life of the ore body. And so getting back to the basics of the ore body before I jump into the flow sheet, um, what I would want uh, your listeners to understand is that it's not quite appropriate to think of the ore body or any of these VTMs as just like an oxide layer cake where you have an oxide, then the words of the industry would be transition and then fresh ore. There's actually quite a lot of variance between those, especially what you would in your mind think is a layer cake of oxide and transition. Depending where you are in the ore body, there's lots of different uh, geometallurgical behavior of that. And what we've been able to do, and this is one of our distinctive characteristics as a company, and, and I think competitive advantage, we've really, really gotten to the bottom of how do you optimize that and make sure that at every point in your body, all the variability is taken care of and you can maximize recovery. So if you saw some core in our shed, right, and if you took a magnet, and this is the beauty of magnetic ore, right, you can, it's very um, tangible what you're dealing with. You might actually have an oxide section there and as you move a meter or two along the core, at, at lots of different points along that couple of meters, actually it's highly magnetic and then not magnetic. Um, so there's the point is there's the high grade ore is obviously this the spot that's more magnetic, has more um, vanadium in it, but there's always ore on top that's actually really valuable that you don't wanna just stockpile and either call it waste or come back to it 20 years later or whatever. So. If you look at our overall resource, it has lots of uh, what you're calling oxide and transition ore that's actually not ore. Um, the part that we're actually going to mine is focused on that really thick high-grade seam. But to maximize the economics and get a really great outcome, what we've done is create a flow sheet that can take 
um, everything all the way down to the, to the fresh ore. And, you know, we don't know where the ore body ends. So there's probably lots of upside there. If you, if in 25 years, you really thought that vanadium was still a space to be, uh, you probably make an argument that you go deeper. But for us right now, it's about grabbing that fresh seam to, to an economic depth and maximizing the recovery at every point along it. And that's a long strike, but also, yes, you are, you're definitely processing some oxide ore. And yes, there's definitely a really technical, uh, technically valid way to get that ore and economically, um, produce vanadium from it. So, um, in terms of the flow sheet, uh, what you're looking at is it's a flow sheet that, uh, uses magnets to concentrate the ore. But what we're interested and in really razor focused on in the vanadium industry, uh, because myself included, uh, having been someone who's operated vanadium kilns, we don't want a situation where we have silica in our feed, or at least we want less than 2%, which is a, a world-class outcome and probably means not too much to your listeners, but really is something they should think about when, uh, assessing, you know, vanadium VTM type, um, aspiring producers. Um, and then obviously we're focused on maximizing recovery of vanadium and getting the highest grade we can in the kiln grade is king. And, um, that's, that's really what the flow sheet does. So. It, you know, in a really high level snapshot, we crush, we crush the ore and, and how we blend that again, hats off to the geos, but our geometallurgical strategy is making sure that the, the, the types of ore and, you know, your words, oxide, trans and fresh are probably more appropriately just summarized as magnetic susceptibility. And we've, um, really gotten down to how do you make sure that you've classified ore correctly in terms of that magnetic susceptibility understanding that there's variability in particular in the oxides and making sure that all the smarts have gone into getting that right. So we take the right blend at every point in the ore body. We run that through a crusher and then we run it through a sag mill and that gives us a liberation size we need to start separating with, with magnets and without getting into the, all the ins and outs, the only other step we do. And we, we really believe this is one of the, the foundational necessities of VTMs to make them highly economic is we have a, like a silica rejection circuit, which uses flotation, what your readers might, your listeners might be aware of. Is silica, uh, is that a penalty in the pieability of the vanadium or what's the disadvantage of silica? Uh, it's, it's, it has a few disadvantages, but really you're, so you're taking that concentrate and putting it in a kiln. And if you have high silica, a, um, the reagents you put in the kiln are going to be self-selecting for silica typically before the, the, the vanadium. Silica. Yeah. Right. So your operating costs are actually substantially increased in terms of just reagents. Um, you're also the thermodynamics of the kiln change. You're, you're going to spend more on gas, but you also have this problem where above a certain threshold, it actually becomes almost a fatal flaw in that you're creating essentially glass and, and stickiness in the kiln and making it very hard to operate. Um, so having low silica is first and foremost about keeping your minimum, um, operating cost. Uh, last but not least is recovery and v vanadium VTM deposits. You know, if you did a sensitivity on the economics of them, it'll, one of the largest things by far, by far is going to be the recovery in the, in the kiln. And getting back to, you know, what, why are we so proud of this concept of patenting our flow sheet? It really is that we've come up with through pilot plant testing and lots and lots of time and work, 
we've got to a point where we will have uh, the basis for the highest recovery of, of any primary producer right now. Uh, and we're confident in that. There's, there's actually, the nice thing is there's no um, novel or proprietary technology in and of itself. It's how we've pieced together the flow sheet. You know, we use um, pelletization, which has been actually revolutionary in our understanding of how to maximize recovery. And the way we've linked up how we get the silica, the vanadium right at the mine with pelletization and the roasting arrangement. Um, this won't mean too much to your listeners, but like a, a great kiln arrangement is um, really important for, for getting that, that outcome. Um, so how we've linked up the whole flow sheet to, you know, just using stuff that's been done for a hundred years, uh, has resulted in something that we're really excited about because it, it really is important to the economics of vanadium deposits. Is a kiln another word for a roaster? Is that like? Yes. Sorry. Yeah. Um, when I call it a great kiln, what, it, what I mean is there's a section that's also a roaster, um, where you expose the ore to high temperature. So in this case it's pellets and it runs along a traveling grate. An example in Australia, you could go to Wyala's um, uh, steel smelter there, and they have a great kiln there. Where's you know, the first half of the of the roaster is a grate, and then it drops down into what I think a lot of people would have in their heads of a big rotating drum mm. is is a kiln that that and part bloody of the long roasting yeah. yeah yeah, and and why is the oxide also more difficult to extract the vanadium? Um, I, I know I've been explained the answer to due to the crushing size, but you can yep. probably articulate it a lot better than me due to the crushing size and the magnetic circuit. How does that work with the oxide ore and why does it make it difficult? Well, I mean, the main base, like in a really simplistic way, when over the eons as ores age and they oxidize, the amount of magnetite relative to hematite or other minerals present goes down. And that means you're your mass yield. So if your listeners are looking for what is a good vanadium deposit, it's actually not, when I said grade is king, it's grade in concentrate is a really good metric. But if you want to think about economics of an ore body, you actually want to think about mass yield. And mass yield is the amount of, the amount and how efficiently you can yield magnetite um, from the rest of the gang material that's there. And so our ore body, uh, if you use, you know, West Australian, um, horror story being Windamura, the, the geology there is very different and you'd have to process about four times as much ore, even if the, let's pretend the vanadium grade was identical, right? You have to process about four times as much ore and that's just literally due down to the overall mass yield. And so at Windamura, it might be 25% that goes out as magnetite. So you might process 4 million tons and get a million tons of concentrate out where life of mine, you know, in, a, in an ore body like ours, you're port like you're north of 60% mass yield. So much more efficient and on an economics, you're mining less, you're processing less, and you're getting the same mass yield out. And then importantly, um, again, if you were to compare us with the Windermere scenario, like and why it had so issues. They went, yeah, they went broke a couple of times, didn't yeah, they? Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that we have these examples in our industry and everybody uh, will just immediately jump to past examples, but I'm not shy of that. I think people should look at it and understand this is a very different ore body and the way that we're choosing to process it is actually very different as well. And for me, the story of Windermere is not, is about not understanding again, hats off to geologists. It was a misunderstanding of the geology and then running off and, and selecting a processing flow sheet that probably wasn't appropriate either. And, and ultimately really 
we should be more discerning about ore bodies and decide that we should chase down the ones that have high mass yield because that's going to be more efficient. Now, with so to, simply, is your is it the concentration of how much magnetite or how magnetic your ore body is makes it easier? That's a that's a determining factor on how easy it's going to be. To it's, it's effectively one and the same because, and if you think about how we're going to manage our blend uh, going into the plant, it's magnetic susceptibility and how you measure that's really important actually. And we have some proprietary ways that we do that to make sure it's right. Yeah. Um, but getting getting the how magnetic the ore is right, and and again thinking about it over the span of two meters, it might actually change. But then understanding the overall ore body and variability is is how you get that right yep so you've got you're a vtm deposit vanadium titanium magnetite deposit now there are other deposits in the world that are non-vanadium titanium magnetite deposits they're your, your free dig material but as you said most or all vanadium is currently sourced from the vtm deposits like yours yep. why is that I'll, there's a few things to un, unpack there, Matt, but uh, first, just maybe a quick lesson on where vanadium comes from in the world. Um, it's probably not quite accurate to say that only vanadium comes from VTM deposits. So at, uh, at a high level, you know, most, actually most vanadium in the world comes as a byproduct of the steel industry. So it's interesting, like vanadium ends up back in the steel industry, but let's say roughly 50% of the world's vanadium supply comes out of uh, ores that are treated through a steel uh, blast furnace because they're turning on in the slag you're left with some vanadium that's recovered and then okay, used so that's back the in the magnetite, steel industry. the magnetite that's used to um produce the steel yeah correct comes out the yep. back end ah oh, right yep yep does uh, he, is he, hematite's not mag is hematite magnetic that iron ore is it just the magnetite uh, almost all hematite's non-magnetic or it might be paramagnetic but it's not not something you would chase and and vanadium is to my knowledge, not ever associated with um, with hematite to, that I've come across, but maybe there are deposits in the world where that's the case. Um, uh, getting back to vanadium sourcing, so a lot of the vanadium industry historically has been byproducts, and there's been those producers in South Africa that have been primary producers. There's one in Brazil that's a primary producer, but the rest of the industry sort of relies on getting vanadium from other um, byproducts, and it's not just steel. There's um, you know, coal-fired power stations have fly ash that has vanadium and some people recover it there and there's other small niche opportunities. Um, so in terms of primary producers, they, they are VTMs. We've seen um, other type deposits come online and offline in the past. So stone coal is the, the word for Chinese-style deposits that uh, are non-VTMs and they typically turn online when the price is high and then they turn off because those flow sheets, you know, I guess the key advantage of VTMs is you, you get them through a kiln and then you just use water to leach out the vanadium. That is a really simplistic way to put it at atmospheric temperature. We're all about it's that here, Mike. <laughs> atmospheric temperature, just at pressure, low pressure, and you just put water on it and the vanadium comes out. And so that's, that's really at the heart of why VTMs are going to continue, in my opinion, to be the key source of vanadium going forward. Other deposits will, uh, so they struggle, typically they're lower grade than VTMs to start with. Depending on your deposit, um, you may struggle to get the same concentration value that a VTM deposit has. So getting to the grade is king. What, what does your concentrate turn into is a good question to ask. Um, and then the most important piece is the downstream processing 
it's still going to involve roasting and it in all cases to my knowledge is also going to involve acid leaching and, and high intensity acid so there's a there's a high operating cost and, and potentially high capex involved in these other style deposits and i personally hope that other deposits are successful because i think what it'll mean is vtms are going to be doing very well um, and that the vanadium industry in general is uh is going to actually be following the, de the demand curve that we think it's going to follow so um you know there's lots of players out there trying to move forward with non-vtm style deposits and i wish them all the best because if if either someone cracks a flow sheet in that space that is less um capital or operating intense than than we think it is that's that's a good thing for the industry and um we, th we hope it works but until now the non-vtm style deposits are sort of the stone cold deposits in china and they've all been difficult high cost and um you know historically um environmentally difficult because you're dealing with acid residue and other things they, they probably don't perceive them as environmentally difficult over there but well i think strange. that's changed matt like yeah. i think we probably could have said that 10 years ago but it's definitely factored in and you know there's actually papers written uh, in china about how they've been trying to move past not just the operating cost piece because there's a big resource in china there but they also do, they want to do it without the mess right they want to like china you know has been industrializing it's we all know it's had its problems but they're they really don't want to keep supporting industries that just leave the mess behind yep. yeah now you've got the adjacent uh mine to the australian vanadium project look it's the it's obvious it's the same ore body, but so you've got technology metals Australia next to you. You've got, but you've got different uh, uh, inverted uh, downstream philosophies, you'd say. So their technology, TMT, are going to have their downstream processing at Mekathaura, where Australian Vanadium has chosen to have the downstream processing at Geraldton. Can you give us some insight into, I guess, the concentrate that comes out of Mekathaura, that grade? goes to Gerald and what it comes out out there and the reasoning behind I guess how that's all going to work with the Gerald and focus yeah sure um you know I, I'm not going to comment on TMT because they'll have their own reasons for the strategy I'll just try and you know say some things that I think are objectively uh, a good reason for what we're doing yeah. um you know myself and others have worked at assets including in the Vanadium industry where you're you're sort of at the mercy of commercial contracts that you're under and one of those things that you really have to think deeply about is gas and so there's kind of the options uh when you have a, a process that requires a lot of gas which is the kilns in in all these flow sheets you can so either, the gas is what's really driving the roasting is it like highly it drives your operating cost it drives yeah. your roasting and so how you are commercially smart about gas supply is really important to these projects um so the initial uh this this company's done a lot of deep thinking and and technical work and economic work on why the asset uh should be split how it is and you know the first and foremost thing that stands out is gas um and how you can either you know in our case you can sit right beside the you know very high volume gas supply available in the midwest there and arguably one of the best spots in the world to get gas uh, or you can try to come off some of the other branch um, gas pipelines that are running throughout WA and both of them are valid uh, ways to build the asset and both could be considered. We've concluded that it's it's far more economic to and and far more commercially flexible to uh, sit in the Midwest there. So gas is one reason. 
Um, the trade-off that you, of course, have to understand is that you're then hauling concentrate from Megathera to uh, near Geraldton there. And so what we've done lots and lots of work on as well is actually monetizing for, you know, very good value into a, a nice market, the iron titanium co-product that we'll produce. Um, so you have moved the concentrate. You, you hopefully then, not just on the gas savings alone, but you can also hopefully get some benefits by getting rid of what was previously a waste stream. If you located all of your facilities in Mikathera, you just can't really justify hauling it all the way to the port. But if you've hauled it there to separate the vanadium and the port's right there where, you know, Tanindawa is where our asset is at. There's a rail line right beside it. There's the gas pipeline right beside it. It's it's wonderful from a, a infrastructure perspective. Um, those two key considerations are why we put um, our facility there. So you've got a co-product, you've got the gas. The other really important thing in our consideration is, in, and, and all mining companies think about this deeply, is scalability. So if we really, you know, we're, we're sitting around thinking about the vanadium industry, do we want to back it at, at a base level or do we want to back that it has a really bright future? And then if you do the latter, it means we want to thinking about scalability right from the get-go. And what scalability means um, is a few things, but you want gas, you want water, you want um, access to port, you want rail, ideally. Um, and, and we think by positioning an asset there, it will um, create opportunities like the Neo Metals collaboration where other people in the region, uh, where both parties can get cost efficiencies right, can unlock value from their assets. And, you know, perhaps uh, the first cab off the ranks is Neo Metals, but, you know, through that strategy, be positioning not just with our, uh, our initial mine, but will be positioned to hopefully continue to create value in Western Australia. And, and I hope we're at the heart of how we can scale the whole industry. Now, with the but onto the Neo Metals, so as so Neo Metals have got the titanium mine or proposed titanium mine north of Geraldton, and then you've got the titanium byproduct coming out as well. And then the term sheet you agreed for, correct me if I'm wrong with any of this, was Neo Metals would uh, treat their byproduct vanadium through your downstream processing. Is there any link with the titanium, their titanium deposit, and your titanium? byproduct at all or not linked it's all just to deal with the vanadium getting traded at your downstream facility yeah i mean our, our initial talks are around how we can work with the vanadium but you know vanadium titanium magnetite deposits they all have titanium surprise surprise it was um <laughs> neometals is unique in that they have much higher titanium uh in their ore and that's why they'll they'll use a different flow sheet than we have and they'll be talking to us and we, you know, we're very lucky to be working with an open-minded business like them that they, they think about how do we maximize the economic opportunity between all the parties, right? And we think, you know, there's a great collaboration to be had there. Does, you know, the, does the titanium and ROR play into that? Not right now, but again, if you come back to scalability, the, the market for the iron titanium product that ends up in a blast furnace is a really great application. Maybe if the industry gets to a scale at some point, um, there are actually flow sheets where it starts to make sense at a certain scale that you actually um, do something with the titanium. And definitely, like that's what Neometals is doing because they're in a really different deposit in terms of the titanium. But if if a whole bunch of fast forward 10 years and there was all kinds of um, concentrates in the region, the titanium piece of it is starting to get interesting, I think. Yep. Now, the, the the DOSH, as we talk, the the kicker for every uh, great mining story in Australia is the capital. Now, you've 
I'll see you've secured 49 million bucks from the federal government as a, uh, what would you call it, a collaboration grant towards the project. What's it, what's the plans on securing capital for this? And is it, is it coming from a, a an offtake, offtake agreement for a, someone that needs the vanadium? Is it going to be a, what's, what's the thoughts there? Yeah, it's uh, it's a pretty typical scenario for for mining companies, um, and then not typical in some ways. So we've been well advanced on uh, working through the debt side. So we've appointed debt debt advisors. I think about twelve months ago, uh, we're going through the hurdles that that everyone does to try to secure the best possible debt options for the business. And obviously, as a side effect of that, there needs to be offtake. And so for us, that's two things: that's offtake of our co-product being the iron titanium product and we're well advanced on that and then strategically for the business is where do we try to go with offtake for the vanadium and I, I would just say that it's a really exciting time for vanadium and with even the some of the more conservative uh, forecasters that we know of in the industry um, to give you an idea you know there was two or three percent of the vanadium last year that went into batteries and the conservative guys are saying 10 plus this year. So in the span of 12 months, that's the type of structural change happening. So we think there's an opportunity to make sure that we get the absolute right partners and the, and the right, and I call them partners for a reason, not just offtake people, um, that see the same vanadium opportunities that we do. And uh, we're working really, um, we're laser focused on that right now in terms of making sure that that's a good outcome for the business. Um, so lots of work happening in finance and really the the crux of it is um, making sure we have the right offtake partners as we move forward is the is the kicker in a, a lift in the vanadium price is that going to be the big kicker towards maybe the capital coming your way is it, is it if this demand goes the way it's anticipated to go is it is it going to really start flowing very quickly into the industry you think from whether it's a offtake or actual capital investment from bigger funds for instance i, I think I'll get the crystal ball out of my bag for you, mate, if you want to spin that. <laughs> well, nobody has a crystal ball, Matt, but the, the reality is when prices go up, money becomes easier. Mm. Uh, however, what I would say is that even if you take the last sort of 15 years of average vanadium price and it, you know, there's lots of things you can do with a crystal ball and you just, um, you average it and inflate it to current dollars. It, it has averaged about 10 bucks a pound US and that's that's a nice um, financeable position in my opinion for for a project like ours and so yeah if the Canadian price goes up great for everybody um, but I also think even at current pricing and honestly pricing has been coming up a bit um, these projects need to happen and if you want to get even close to matching what we think the demand is um, the money's going to have to come and we think we're the team of people who can do it like we literally have some of the most experienced vanadium people in the world on our team and you you're obviously on the front foot with the construction side because you've got the like dual party early contractor involvement it's worded with us so you've got gr engineering and primero how, how does that work are they is that like a an early tender process like the for scoping the job out like a, a, are you looking to use utilize both contractors to get it done due to labor shortages how does that all work so you know there's lots of different ways that you can partner with people and, and i'm a firm believer that you 
the the decisions you make around the partners you select are the most important in terms of dictating your fate once you know once we get this thing financed and i think a wonderful way to pick your partners is to not just drop a tender on their desk and expect them to pump out a price in four weeks and then try to decide who's the best in the opportunity to partner with so these early contractor involvement scopes are all about early partnership and that's to work together very closely with two partners and figure out how to refine the scope to a point where everybody's really got their head around the technical, commercial, and other risks and landed on a position where all the parties can go, yes, this looks very interesting. And at the end of that, you're in a very good space to conform a good contract with your partner. And you probably also know by the end of that, uh, which team of people are working best together. And, you know, so lots of different ways that you can tender and reach commercial arrangements with partners. But I really find that to be a wonderful exercise and, and there's benefits, um, to both both sides of the spectrum if you're a contractor that means you're not just blowing two hundred thousand dollars on a tender that you may probably are unlikely to win you're actually getting some paid work and you're collaborating and on our side of the fence we're getting uh, a nice progression of the design beyond the definitive feasibility level we're actually getting refined refinements and getting some opportunities in there as well so i think it's i think it's a great process that one's well advanced and we're going to do some other ones for the other packages around around our asset and is that for is that for the on-site uh, processing the or is it for the downstream so that, as well? That particular both? scope is the concentrator and some of the infrastructure around the Gabinet site near Megathera. Yeah, yeah. And do you have to do like is it is there you have to have one without you can't have one without the other in terms of your downstream component and the on-site? Are there any other downstream options other than building your own plant in Geraldton? You know the. The, the traditional Western Australian model of ship a concentrate, I believe doesn't work with Vanadium unless the price really goes up to a point where then I would say probably batteries become uneconomic or something. Yeah. Um, so my current answer, unless things change in ways that I can't perceive, you need to do downstream processing here. But the nice thing is it's not like, um, on a risk level, it's not like uh, a lithium hydroxide in terms of process risk. Yes, it is a big challenge we're about to embark on. Yes, it does involve lots of smart people to get it right. But the downstream process, um, if you get the kiln right, which is what we've spent a lot, a lot, a lot of time making sure is right, um, the rest of the process compared to say a lithium hydroxide flow sheet is actually relatively straightforward. So we're pretty confident that it, you know, and I've historically been a pessimist about downstream processing in Western Australia because we we have lots of examples here of failures, basically, right? I, I do think um, when you when you break down the elephant in the bite-sized chunks, you should be able to conclude that if you get the roaster correct, the that processing plant is actually um, it's quite a great uh, thing to build in Western Australia, and we can do it. We have the skill sets to do it, and in particular in our company. Um, we have, you know, some, I really think this, some of the best chemical engineers with vanadium experience in our business. And, you know, we've just, uh, if you've been watching the news, we've, uh, added two chemical engineers to our board again, uh, both of whom are incredibly pedigreed. Um, Peter Watson is well known in our industry for being someone who rolls up his sleeves and gets involved in projects that get built. And he's a really um, wonderful person to have on the team. For me personally, he's going to be someone who can mentor me and make sure that I 
um, stay between the, the barriers. And you know, Miriam Stanborough also joined our board. And I've never had this in my career. So like about 10 people I know texted me and I hadn't known Miriam before. And they said, wow, what a wonderful um, pick you've had there in terms of her leadership in the industry and communities. And then she's also a chemical engineer and is one of the smartest people I've ever met. So we've got the makings of a team here. If you are going to build a downstream plant in WA, we're going to do it. And um, I hope you'll see some more appointments in the future that continue to give the market that confidence that this is a really uh, A plus team that we're pulling together to do it. And that's good. You got people, as you said, you want to keep keep you accountable because it'd be easy to go down some little rabbit holes with <laughs> with this little complex side of an ADM processing. So yeah, yep. <laughs> and uh, coming back to earlier in the conversation, Matt, like our relationship with USB is that partnering mentality. So yes, yeah. we have a document that says you've got a technical arrangement, but importantly, like we can talk to those guys as well. And and Daniel Harris on our board is someone who literally produces. Uh, ultra high purity electrolyte in the industry right now and sells it. And so we're able to, you know, talk to those guys and, and that's going to make sure that we, as we work through the things that we need to work through to get FID and, and build a, a viable asset here, we've got, you know, people in the industry who are vying for us. And I think that's important. Yep. Uh, you've got two minutes before you meet him, mate. I want you to give Perfect. a quick bit on your, uh, I guess, your federal government grant to build the electrolyte plant and you obviously got your subsidiary V Sun that is doing batteries. Tell us a bit about that. Okay, two minutes. Um, you know, we've got a, a few grants running. One of them is the electrolyte. We, through US Vanadium, have that technology agreement. So we've advanced the detailed design of that plant to near completion. Uh, we hope to update the market shortly with the full plan on how that's going to play out. And we, we need to deliver the plant uh, to produce electrolyte here in Perth. And that's wonderful that the government's got behind us, I think, for a very good sum of money. And that's just, it's got a few benefits for us. But ultimately, the sooner we can become an electrolyte producer, it gives us that early mover advantage. It also allows us to continue to essentially qualify with battery producers. So it's going to help us continue to build the respect and esteem of our future customers that we can produce in the quantities and qualities that they need to grow their industries, which is in the redox battery side. And that brings me to vSun. So vSun has a few things going, um, but really we're focused on growing the, the application of redox batteries here in Australia. So we've got this huge pipeline of potential jobs that could turn into something in the future. But we're just intimately involved in any sort of redox applications, east and west coast, and how we can potentially supply, install, and maybe even operate batteries there in the future. So near term, what are we doing? We're FAT testing a decent sized battery here in Perth that'll end up at my old employer IGO at Nova, if you've been there. Uh, and that'll be, that's through also a government grant um, in, in collaboration with IGO to sort of prove a nice little case study at a bore pump. and. We think um, there's some really good near-term, very economic opportunities. We've got um, we've got four batteries in operation here in Western Australia. One of them that's been going for about ten years through Vison and has had no issues at all. It's a pretty wonderful case study in how robust these things are. It's just out there, sat in the middle of the desert, just cooking away and and churning over um, renewable energy. So. Lots more to come in Vsun and Electrolyte. Um, that hopefully gives you a snapshot and, and we'll keep updating the market as we grow those parts of our business. And ultimately, it's all about vertical integration. And we think if there was any of the battery metals in Australia that you 
really can vertically integrate right to the battery, right? Because these redox batteries, the beauty of them, they're really simple. Mm. It, yeah, it's it just, is it makes, it's like making a cake, isn't it? A bit of yes. vanadium powder, a bit of water, and <laughs> it's, yeah. uh, I mean, it's your electrolyte. I, I've, I've been in processing industry my whole life, right? I look at a battery, the redox battery, and it's like a little process plant, right? It's got tanks, pumps, and in the middle, it has a stack. I'm really oversimplifying here, but it, it is quite simple where you can exchange ions, right? And they, that's it. And you pump electrolyte back and forth across the tanks and- Voila, you've voila. got power. So I'm, I'm not, not to belittle the guys out there that are building these really good robust batteries. Um, you know, the people who've been building VRFBs for a long time, there's lots of IP there, don't get me wrong. But the nice thing is it's the electrolyte if you get the quality of that right, you can bring batteries here and assemble them. You can build tanks, you can build pumps, you can do it all here, man. So it's in terms of the story that we as Australians are chasing of full vertical integration right to batteries, this this can happen. We can do it. But it sounds like the uptake of the vanadium batteries is very dependent on, um, as in people buying them, which needs needs the vanadium. There needs to be more of them to yep. actually scale the price down. It just at yeah. first glance, it's like yeah. And to, yeah. so it's VSun is about stimulating the demand side for the batteries, but also the important thing that has to happen in vanadium is more mines need to come online. Yeah. That's the key. If if you want the price to stay where it is now and be sustainable, you need to match the demand with vanadium supply and really making the battery itself that can be cobbled together through the supply chains of the world. What can't be done uh, on scale without mines is the vanadium electrolyte that has to go into them. It's the main ingredient. So uh, not just us, I really do hope that our whole industry gets the capital it needs. Um, obviously we're the best, but- I hope- Had to chuck it in I at some point, all, it, I, Really, it, it needs scalability is what our industry yeah. needs. So I hope we can play a big role in that. Awesome. Now, thanks so much. That was a great overview of everything you got going on and, um, and, a, and a humbling overview as well about the whole industry. Oh well, yeah, really appreciate having the time, mate. Thanks very much. Hopefully, hopefully plenty more to come in the future. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Graham. Cheers. Yeah.